0: Great Quarter Guys episode 7. I'm Seth Holm. I'm your host. I'm joined as always by my co-host Kevin Hill. Today we've got special guest JP Hampstead back in the booth. How you doing JP? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Welcome back. Um, So today we've got a great show for you guys. We're going to do, we're going to lead off with our business model breakdown series. We're going to break down the largest trucking company in North America. That is Knight Swift to start us off. You guys excited for that? Of course. definitely. Definitely. What's next after that? And then after that, we are going to get into uh, our uh, segment on we've got a trade deal. So we're going to talk about that. And then, Do we? And, well, uh, we've got a phase one. We'll, we'll, <laughs> okay. We can debate right. that. Uh, okay. Uh, and then we've got our long, short segment um, to follow up. But um, let's just kick it right off with uh, Knight Swift here. Um, so just a little bit of background on Knight Swift. Uh, as I said, they're the biggest trucking company in North America. They have approximately 20,000 tractors, about 20,000 drivers and about fifty thousand trailers. Um they merged with Swift in two thousand seventeen. This was an all stock merger. Uh what's interesting is Knight, uh I believe the Knight company, which was founded by the Knight brothers or cousins. We're not exactly sure but it's Gary and Kevin Knight were the founders. Any
1: relation to, to Phil Knight?
0: Yeah Phil Knight of Nike uh they came out of Utah so it's possible um that they did um, but uh, these two companies, Swift was founded by former chairman and CEO Jeremy Mo- uh excuse me, Jerry Moyes, or is it
2: Moyes? Moyes, Moyes, Moyes? Yeah. Um,
0: Jerry still owns twenty three percent of Knight uh, Swift, and he has got a twelve and a half percent voting stake. Uh, just a little bit of business facts here. Knight Swift gets eighty percent of their revenue from truckload, ten uh, percent from intermodal, and ten percent from brokerage. With that said, let's get right in. So our first question for you, JP, I'll start with you. Uh, between the old or the legacy knight uh, and swift what are the main differences and similarities in those two businesses
2: so the main differences were, were that uh, knight was much smaller about a, th- a third or even maybe half the size of swift um, and had a reputation for being much more operationally disciplined with um, shorter lengths of haul um, I think on the on revenue side, it was about a quarter of the size.
1: Okay, and Knight right. was a, even smaller. So the combined entity was about five billion in, in sales, and Swift was four billion of that, and uh, Knight was one billion. Okay, during the merger. So,
2: so yeah, so much smaller, but um, run more efficiently. Um, especially, but they had the same market valuation.
1: Actually, they the, the both had market valuations of about two and a half billion dollars apiece. And Swift had four times the revenue as 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 Knight, so it gives you an indication of how well, or or how disciplined Knight was.
2: Yeah. So interestingly, um, you know, uh, Swift was much larger, uh, the the sort of the academy fleet of the industry, uh, onboarding new drivers, training them, sending them out mostly on you know contracted runs, whereas uh, Knight um, had a little bit more was a little bit more nimble had a little bit more sort of uh, operational leverage, I guess you could say, um, in, in the sense that they, they would flex uh, supply um, onto the spot market when times were good and, and bring it back into contracted um, lanes uh, when when things loosened up. So that was always a, kind of an interesting part about night. Yeah.
0: Okay. And um, so, yeah, uh, Knight actually would flex their spot exposure up to about 20% in a good market, whereas um, Swift uh, was virtually all contract. And I think you said they were 130% committed. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So um, we, we saw that in, in some research, which is interesting. It basically just means that they committed to more loads than they had trucks for and they would use you know, Swift, Swift logistics and intermodal to kind of find you know, other sources of capacity.
0: Okay, so Knight was known for their operational expertise while Sniff, uh, Swift excuse me, was known for their network and their scale. And what's interesting is even though Knight was a fourth of the size, the, their management actually runs the company uh, now.
2: Yeah, it's, it's been a long kind of um, tangled story of rivalry and kinship, actually. Both of these companies um, ultimately had their origins in Plain City, Utah with um, C.R. England, which is, of course, founded by Chester Rodney England back in 1920. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jerry Moyes' dad drove for C.R. England, and the Knights drove for Jerry Moyes' Swift before they started Knight. And so it's kind of a, a, a family reunion in, in, in some sense. And what's the fourth um, trucking company? Uh, Pride Pride, Transport. that's right.
0: Okay, so now we've got these two companies together um, in 2017. Uh, they did a soft integration. When I say that, they kept separate brands, they kept uh, separate drivers and separate uh, customer bases. Um, but what JP? Why do you think it makes sense to put these two companies together? And do you think um, you know? Night. Let's get into the uh, the OR differences in these companies. But why why does it make sense to put these two companies together? Well,
2: it makes sense because if you know, this was the the bet, and you have to think that this was the largest merger in truckload history. Extremely risky, um, hard to know what you know, Wall Street is going to think about something like this. But the bet was that if you could take Swift's size and make it run as efficiently as Knight, in an op- in an operating ratio sense, then you could really create a lot of value. Um, and that's that's what they try to do. And it took them several years, but it seems like that they're getting closer and closer to accomplishing that.
0: Okay. And can you, can you expand on that a little bit? What were the differences? I mean, they were huge in terms of the operating ratios of these companies. I believe Swift was what in the, when, but right before they merged in the low nineties and, uh, and Knight was in the low eighties or the high seventies. So where do we stand today and how much progress have they made on the margin front?
2: They've pushed, um, essentially they've cut the, the gap in their operating ratios by about two thirds. So they've really brought things together. It was, it was a more than a 9% difference before the merger in terms of, you know, operating ratio. Um, now it's less than three and a half percent. So it's like 320 basis points, somewhere around there. Wow. Super impressive. Yeah. And so they, yeah. So, I mean, and, and I think, I, th- I want to say it was the third quarter of 2018 when, They, when Swift actually, Swift Trucking actually got its operating ratio below 80%. And I just remember, you know, when those earnings came out, just being like, wow, they've like, and clearly, you know, in retrospect, that was like the the peak of the the top of the market. But regardless of that, I, I just remember being like, wow, they've like done it. They actually pulled this thing off.
0: So what, do you remember what the market's expectations were when this merger was announced? Was the market skeptical that SWIFT could be turned around? Or um, they've obviously made a lot of progress and it's been really impressive. But do you remember what the market sentiment was?
2: I think that everyone was really happy about the way that they sold the deal to Wall Street, which is basically by saying, like, we're going to put the Knights like, in charge. Like, like I, think, I think the um, investment community had a lot of confidence in their management. And the question was always, you know, is Jerry Moyes going to get up to some shenanigans or you know that kind of thing? And then obviously, you just when you have when you have a you know a company swallowing a whale in this kind of deal, it's it takes a long time. It's complicated. It costs a lot.
1: And, and I was reading uh, over the weekend doing research on this, and when the deal was announced, you had both stocks appreciating in value on the news, right? Wow. And and night um well, it was up, you know, anywhere from ten to twenty percent on the announcement of the news. And you're a hedge fund guy. You know that MA arbitrage, right? The acquiring company goes down. The target, of course, is being paid a premium over the stock price usually, right? Yep. Will will go up, right? And you have that 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 arbitrage there. Uh both stocks went up. And I do remember in the middle middle of 2017 when the deal closed, the, the first couple quarters, analysts were kind of on top of of Knight, kind of dogging them a little bit about a slow integration, some issues with refrigerated um, refrigerated equipment and, and loads with with Swift. Um, but after that first couple quarters, you know, you, you get into 2018 and 2019. It's it's been a pretty good story ever since then Mm -hmm. on on the value created and and the working down of the the OR on the SWIFT side. And uh, it seems to be going pretty smoothly right now.
0: Right. And so the market was uh, optimistic uh, right off the bat. That's very very unusual, um, both to be up double digits. That's impressive. Um, So one thing I wrote down here in my notes uh, that Andrew noted, so Goldman just recently initiated on the space, which we talked about last week, they talked about how um, in the past year, in 2019, the truckload average OR increased by 250 basis points, uh, Knights increased by 590 basis points, and, and Swifts decreased by 60 basis points. Why do you think that is, JP, just more low-hanging fruit to pick on the Swift side? And why do you think they took their eye off the ball a little bit on the night operations? Or why would Knight's operating ratio have increased by as much as two times more than the overall truckload average?
2: Um, I think I think we'll have to return to something a detail that we brought up a little bit earlier, but it may have something to do with Knight's exposure to spots, right? So okay. when you think about the difference between twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, um, the first thing to to fall through the the floor was was the spot rates and you know carrier or, sorry contract rates are just now kind of you know. Get or, or getting negative in the past mm-hmm. few months, um, on a much slower time frame. So I think that's that's where your your answer makes going, perfect right. sense.
1: Yeah. yeah you, did you say twenty percent night upwards of twenty percent are reserved for for spot market moves? Yeah. Or did Traditionally,
0: night would uh, flex their uh, their mix up to twenty yeah. yeah. percent in a bull market for trucking.
1: Yeah. So if they were mixed up to twenty percent in, in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen came along, yeah. Uh, typically, it's you know five to ten percent for public carriers to, yeah. to be exposed to spot market. So, oh, and I think I, I looked through that. their third
0: quarter earnings mm-hmm. deck. I think now it's basically down to zero. It's a hundred percent contract again, but it, there's that multi-quarter transition mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go to um, so nice balance sheet uh, after the deal. They've uh, they've paid down debt. Um, they they've got a really good balance sheet. It's like one times debt to EBITDA. They've got twenty times interest coverage using uh eBIT divided by interest expense. Um they've got a successful history of both acquisitions and integrations. Um they've been buying back a little bit of their stock, but great think- free cash flow too. They do. And yeah. we're gonna that's gonna be uh we're gonna get into that one next. But do you think that there's acquisitions on the horizon um with given all these facts, guys?
2: I think I think there definitely should be. Um I, I don't and and I'm kind of agno like mode agnostic as to where they should go. Uh, you know, maybe maybe not intermodal right now um, just because of the volume headwinds we've seen um, in that space but there are so many I mean if, if you can digest Swift if you can if you can turn that thing around and operate that well in in under two years I think you can pretty much handle anything and you know valuations the truckload space if you use you know trailing 12 months should be should get pretty reasonable um so i don't see why there the, there would be no reason why they couldn't pick anything up i just i wonder about the targets that would make it like a material difference to their business yeah that's a good question uh,
1: size you know a- acquisitions to acquisition you know if it's a 200 million dollar acquisition or a 100 million dollar acquisition does it really move the needle and i i think they can definitely absorb that once you get into uh you know, uh, carriers or, or trucking companies that are, uh, you know, maybe five hundred million and above in, in valuations, then it becomes a little bit more difficult uh, to find a target uh, to acquire it, to integrate it. And, you know, doing doing it once with with Swift, which is a business that, that they probably knew pretty well, right. since everyone's from the same area, everyone grew up with the, one another. Uh, but but going out and and buying a business that is is sizable. That you might not know exactly what's going on inside until you get there, could be an issue. We went over this with uh, Dasky uh, a couple weeks ago while we were looking into that. Those roll up, so it can be dangerous. You can have a, a, a big winner once you have some, you know, w- once you know the target, but things can go off the rail.
2: That's true. That's true. I, I do think I, I, I think in general, um, the market should be more confident about any any kind of company the knights buy you know, just with having multiple generations of the family in trucking mm-hmm. and, you know, that, you know, diesel in the blood, as they say, I, I think, you know, they might be able to avoid some of the mistakes, uh, made by Mr. Dasky, who was new to the space when he rolled up, um, Dasky, you know, I don't know, but, um, I think the, the, those points were well made. Though. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That, that, uh, you know, that sends into our next question, um, which, um, I think you just may have answered in some way. but So what differentiates, guys, uh, Night Swift from other carriers? What makes them better? Are there any economies of scale to having the biggest carrier in North America? Do they have superior management, that sort of thing? What do you think that their competitive advantages of this company are, guys?
2: I don't think it's an economy of scale so much as a synergy of scale is kind of what they say in trucking. Just the idea that you can do more. For your customers you can handle you can solve more of their problems handle more of their freight um in a way that that, that makes sense for, for your business as well um i think that's one of the things i mean the, the, having the largest trucking you know truckload fleet in, in north america is obviously a great selling point you can go after the very largest accounts on, on the continent um, with, with confidence that that does make a difference um you know i don't in terms of superior management, what well, we talked about this. I, I don't know that trucking companies get a, a management premium, right? Um,
0: it's small. Well, the the Legacy
2: Night did, didn't it, they, in the market? It,
1: it did. You know, and Heartland does too, right? If you have an OR, of, ODFL does uh, ODFL, but but you have to have ORs that are industry leading, yeah. right? So so. You know the, the the merger between Knight and Swift. It does give them a really good density of network. They're they're more skewed to consumer products uh, and retail than industrial, which gives them a little bit of a niche. Even though they're, they're the largest, that they can dominate that 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 area of transportation have a really dense network. Um, so so they'd probably get a bigger premium than most. But I think we're we're talking. You know, recently, you know, all the time, mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, the the management, the premium for for uh for great managers in trucking is smaller than most other industries, and that's you know, well, you can, th- that's due to that. the
0: that's due to the natural characteristics of the market too. I mean, you're a, you're pretty much a price taker in this market, and it is slightly commoditized, and so you have less control over the organization.
1: Yeah. And you wrote a paper that, that, you know, trucking trucking stocks trade 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 on on spot spot. rates. They do. And 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 they don't trade on
0: valuation either. uh, No. And so.
1: No. So you can take uh, companies with with less than stellar management on a down market like this. And if you think spot rates are going up or GDP is going up or oil is going up, right, they're all kind of highly correlated, correlated. You you can pick up the the, the most levered one, right? Yeah. and, uh, and write it exactly up, whether, th- That's exactly yeah. what I. That's what I think, right? Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, I like that trade. So so, but but Knight does does trade with a little bit
0: of a premium, uh, for for excellent management. And that's an opportunity going forward. Uh, in the Goldman piece that they initiated, they talked about how Legacy Knight traded at a twenty times multiple, or maybe a little higher. Whereas mm-hmm. Knight, I think, traded. Uh, I mean, uh, Swift traded at like a low to mid teens multiple. Mm-hmm. And so the blended company right now trades at kind of the high teens. And so if they continue to bring Swift's OR down, that's a, there's opportunity for multiple expansion with this name. Yeah,
1: well. you have multiple expansion, and then uh, and I read where they've set aside they set aside 250 million last year, 250 million this year for stock buybacks. Yeah, so you increase the multiple, you buy back stock, right? Yeah. Buy back shares. And I, I think that's a better play than the mergers and acquisitions. I think JP disagrees with me a little bit, maybe I wish is fine. Uh, what,
0: what do you think? So this is what guys, okay. what they're, what we were debating earlier is what is the optimal co- uh, capital allocation for this company? Cause they've got a good balance sheet. They've got lots of free cash flow, They've yeah. got lots of potential choices out there. So JP. So is it M&A? Was,
1: is it share is buybacks? It, is it
2: expanding it a brokerage? Is it yeah. dividend? So, so, choices. so um, my feeling, one of the things I look at is the fact that out of the like the, sort of the big four truckload carriers, uh, you know, Knight Swift, JB Hunt, Werner Schneider, Knight Swift is the most concentrated in truckload in terms of where it gets its revenue and where it gets its operating income. Eighty percent of its revenue comes from truckload, only ten percent from intermodal, ten percent from brokerage. Um, I think that it could pivot. It could grow those other lines of business, which are sort of more efficient from a return on invested capital perspective, or at least have been historically. And We can talk about the way that brokerage may or may not be changing and sort of lean into those, diversify its book of business. And actually, you know, it, there's one way to think about it that, OK, it's behind in the brokerage game. It's behind in the digital brokerage game. The other way to think about it is this is this is where you want to get in before it starts making all these improvements and you want to ride it on the way up so I I, I think that is at least part of what they're doing I, th- I think that, mm-hmm. you know honestly they might be doing all of the above but we know from the, the new uh, brokerage and tech center they built in in Phoenix that they're 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 hiring you know they're going to add 250 brokers there if you think about them as you know they're going to add a bunch of engineers and it's like okay if those guys can say say they can make $1.5 million in gross revenue per, you know, sort of mm-hmm. tech-enabled broker, then you're talking about almost double, you're talking about doubling the size of their brokerage. Um, and which, it's not a small brokerage. No. it's, it, it's What is it, is it, $300 million a year now? Yeah,
1: I think it's a $300 million run rate. Uh, this last quarter was $80 and in, in, in gross revenue. So I, you know, multiply that by four, right? Yeah. And you get about $300 million. So I So I, I think one of the advantages of, being behind on the tech revolution and in brokerage is that you've learned from everybody else's mistakes hopefully right so so you might be able to ramp up it's still really hard to execute any kind of brokerage and especially go from 300 million to say a billion or 600 million that takes a lot of takes a lot of investment i think jb hunt invested what 500 million C.H. Robinson's announcing a billion over the next, what? Five years. Five, yeah. five years. So it's not, it's, it's not cheap, and it, it's hard to do in a big company. It's hard to to really launch anything in a big company. So that would be a, a challenge, you know, but you never know. But then again, I go I always go back to the, 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 the surest money is just buying back shares. Yeah, and, and you know, one thing
0: from my past and, and market perspective, um, I don't like committing capital to areas where the mar- that are out of favor with the market, unless there's a contrarian, uh, wise decision making in there. So a lot of the market uh, brokerage stocks are out of favor with the market right now. Whether very it's, much so. whether it's this part of the cycle or whether it's the newfound, mm-hmm. you know, high spending digital competition, it doesn't really matter. Those areas are out of favor. So I question whether, uh, you know, how the market would respond if you start committing more capital rather than buying back stock or doing accretive M and A deals. Uh, and just trying to uh, focus on operating the company and bringing uh, swift's or down into the low 80s things will take care of themselves because goldman had written that if that happens and they bring the swift operating ratio down to a night like low 80s you're looking at like three dollars and 20 cents in earnings which at a 20 multiple that we talked about that's a 65 dollars stock and it's 35, 35 now. now. So that's really, that's a lot of, that's really attractive. So, so
1: what you really have to do is talk to the analysts who are covering your company and your investors into, hey, let's pour this money into brokerage where the margins are over the long term, we think are coming down. Right. To just basically doing what you're doing with Swift, bring the OR down. Get a better multiple and start buying back shares. So you do I, I it, like, it looks like
0: you feel pretty confident in your, in your I, side of the position. Yeah,
1: I, I do. I th- I feel very confident. That's what the analysts, investors are going to think. So right. Night Swift will have to fight them to be able to do anything else. Maybe a little bit of M&A, Um, but but that's going to be tough to to do a, another big
2: deal. One of the ways they might be able to kind of straddle the the difference between those two models is I know that at least the way Swift Logistics thinks about its brokerage now, it exists to keep America's mm-hmm. largest truckload fleet running. And and so, you know, they while they want to build a digital brokerage platform, I think it's an open question as to how much that's going to be about matching freight, you know, outside of their yeah. already existing asset pool. So, so- now, if they could grow the brokerage and at the same time leverage all of that incoming freight, all that incoming data to improving you know the operations of swift Mm -hmm. then i think you could get you could have your cake and eat it too in a sense yeah i mean
1: i i think night 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 swift is going to invest in their brokerage are they going to go all in on it or are they going to make the improvements like you just you just uh noted to, to to move their trucks around more efficiently at least to, to begin with, and right. that's that is a, the, the smartest move. Um, but but are
0: they yeah, going like, to go all in?
2: Like if you if you already have twenty thousand trucks, in. I
0: don't think they need to go all in. That, that's too big of a bet when yeah. when it seems just they're already doing their thing and it's working. Yeah, you know why
2: why fi- if it ain't broken, don't fix well, I know, it. know, right? You know, yeah. if you you've already got twenty thousand trucks on the road, so the question is then, you know, how big does your brokerage need to be? To continue dr- driving down OR for those twenty thousand assets.
0: True, true, very true. Okay, so um, this has been a good discussion. Let's let's wrap it up with this one. So, what are the risks to this story? Um, Kevin touched on one early. They earlier they've got eighty percent exposure to the consumer. They've got high customer concentration. Their top, uh, I think it's 10 or 25 customers, are over 50% of their revenue. Yeah, Walmart's number Walmart's one. Walmart's number one, 15%. At 15%. You have to question the pricing power that they have on that contract. And I guess it could get insourced. Or there, you've got the controversial Swift founder and, and Jerry Moyes, who made some. Yeah, JP might be able to. He took the company private one time. He re IPO'd it. There was some. Insider trading um, stuff going on. So There's there some other stuff. I
1: think they just settled a hundred million dollar suit uh, earlier this year on owner-operator classification as employees from fifteen or twenty years ago from Swift. So you might have some things like that pop up from now. On. You know, I, I doubt it. it's probably all in the rearview mirror. But
0: yeah, it seems like a pretty clean story to me. Like none of these mm-hmm. jump off the page and. And as I said earlier, Jerry Moyes—he uh, has pledged his shares um, as collateral for loans, but his his actual voting interest is only—and um, I was reading this in the Susquehanna report from Bascom—is only twelve and a half percent, rather than twenty-three percent. Yeah, so yeah. He can't—he can't really shake up the story too much from outside the board.
1: That is very true. Very true. So, so some of the risks: uh, AB five in California, mm-hmm. if that spreads around, about twenty percent of. Their drivers are leased on owner operators. So that's a pretty significant risk um, because that, that would be what? That would be about 4,000, 5,000 um, owner operators that, that are leased on to Knight to, to, to Swift. So that's one of the things, uh, you know, like really big macro that they're not leveraged really so the risk is pretty minimal the risk I mean, is like almost it.
0: like it's it's a safer play in the truck community whereas the other their peers that are have worse balance sheets mm-hmm. and have higher ors might be a better investment
2: um going yeah
1: through. it seems like it's a pretty safe company that's de-risked uh quite a bit as much as you can being the largest trucking company out there so, so.
2: the risk would then be not not necessarily a risk to the fundamental like picture of the company, but just we're we're at the end of the turnaround story. And you know, I'd say the up. middle of the yeah. turnaround yeah. story. Yeah. The the overall
0: OR for a Knight Swift right now is eighty five percent. Knight in uh, two thousand. Right. And, the and, the risk would be like, this
2: yeah, yeah, stops. it's
1: it's yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, at some point it, you're going to get your OR down as as low as you can. Basically, get it. It was kind of. Uh, and, and then where do you go from there? So there's a risk to the, the, the share price
0: going forward after that,
1: but it's just it's uh, it's, it's also there's
0: a risk of uh, capital outflow flowing into the riskier names, um, yeah, the lower beta, high quality play. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Yeah,
1: exactly
0: Okay.
2: Right. Well, thank you, JP. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was yeah. really fun. Yeah,
1: great. Come back anytime.
0: Wait, you know we'll have you back. Yeah. yeah. So what's uh what's going on next? Well, we're gonna so bring, we're gonna we're gonna do. bring Andrew Cox back in. And we're going to finish up our last couple segments here. Okay. What's what's the next segment? Um, I don't know. Should we see if Andrew has anything to add on Night Swift? Yeah, let's do that. Andrew, you did a lot of reading. I don't don't know if you could
1: listen to us out there. Yeah, you probably Uh, probably could.
0: So so put him on the spot I do want to hear your overall take on the story. What did you...
1: Yeah, what was the the, the couple of key takeaways uh, that you
0: you, that you took? Yes, yeah, so I
3: wasn't able to listen to you guys, but I do uh I probably echo a lot of what you guys were saying. Um I think that if they're able to bring uh the the swift side of operations down to that OR down to a you know a historical uh night level, uh I think this company has a lot of room to grow. I think they're um they're not their their balance sheet is clean. They have a lot of money. I, I'm sure you guys talked about it. it's not it's not often that you have a trucking company that doesn't know what to do with their money because typically you don't have much of it. Uh, so yeah, so scary, yeah, typically he, you, he,
1: you don't. You have plenty of money. So I'm going to ask you, what should they do with all that money? M A, and a dividends, or
0: JP's answer, which is expand into brokerage. How do you feel about that?
1: I'm against the brokerage.
3: I, I think you let the brokers play in the brokerage market. I think there's, most investors are running away from brokerage, so I, I wouldn't be headed that way. I think um, share by backs is probably probably the best move. Yeah, see, uh, you know, get see he gets it. I like
0: retiring shares at the bottom of the trucking market. That's oh, yeah, probably, definitely. I mean, right? I, if if you're retiring shares at, at 35, that might be worth 60 or more. That's yeah. going to look like a really good trade. It, it is, I, I you know, and then they put
1: two hundred and fifty million back this year to to do that. And, so and they that's should, pretty sizable. They uh, just it.
0: to put that in context, yeah. it's what a five or six billion dollar market cap. So yeah, that's five yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. yeah, percent. Yeah, it's big. It's, it's big. So I, I think
1: that might be the answer to
0: uh, their strategy. Is they're doing it right now? Right. Um. So guys, we're not doing our normal DHL supply chain pricing power update because we're recording this on a Monday. We had a quick turnaround here, so. We're gonna do la- the last two segments here. Number one, and uh, so we have a phase one trade deal. So, guys, what do you think about that, and what are the implications for the trucking and the transportation? So, so the last
1: time I, I saw this phase one trade deal is that we have a phase one trade deal, but we don't know what's in it. So, have, do we? And it's not signed. So, I, I, I actually, I don't know if anyone knows if there's <laughs> been any news that says what's in it
0: uh but but we will see well i know what's in it i I read some articles and i watched an interview with steven mnuchin the the treasury secretary on cnbc here's what's basically in it it's it's who knows but it's somewhere between 40 and on the u.s side here's what china's committed to 40 to 50 billion in ag purchases specifically pork and uh soybeans Mm -hmm. um they're promising um uh to cut down on IP theft and currency manipulation. Okay. And the way that the U S is going to enforce that is we're only taking down tariffs on the first 250 billion from, uh, uh, by, by 50%. -hmm. And then by seven and a half percent on the second tranche, and we're not going to implement the third tranche, but by holding that over their head, that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to try to, uh, you know, get enforcement on this. And then on the Chinese side, you know, you get the tariffs rolled back, which is what they want. Mm -hmm. How about this? Um, so I don't know if you've known, historically, I think
3: 2000, 2016 or 2017 was the highest level of ag ever bought by China, and it was $26 billion. Okay. Yep. So do you think it's at all possible, and they and they haven't given right. any timeline, where do we get to this 40 or $50 billion, Right. but do you think it's even possible at all in the next, let's say, five or six years that we can get to $50 billion?
0: Well, no, not exactly, but that's why I wanted to talk about it. Well, was that $50 in a year? $50 billion per year. So they
1: need to double their their, their peak of buying agriculture. Yep. To, to He's a wise. He's a wise. Andrew's a wise man, He's a wise man. Yeah. yeah. So so basically, I guess the next time I get home and drive out to Western Oklahoma or Western Kansas, there'll be much more pigs out there than <laughs> yeah, right than then there less are now. More pigs. Uh, yeah, less corn <laughs> and more pigs. So. Uh, that, that'll that be a, uh, I'll have to roll down the windows for that. Well, drive.
0: we we can <laughs> yeah. laugh at this though. The, the market sure loves this deal.
1: Oh yeah. They, they, love, they new loved every
0: and, announcement of this deal. Oh, we are like, eating it up. Months? I don't know. I mean, every, I'm. Uh, you know, guys, we have Robin Hood accounts. I don't know if that's yeah. an embarrassing thing to, to admit on the <laughs> Absolutely air. Absolutely not. You know, uh, no. I have an Apple watch here and every day I get dings. 52 week high, 52 <laughs> week high, up 5%. <laughs> yeah, it's a great. It's like, well, for me, I,
3: I think it's better to have a current truce than to have no truce at all. But it, you would think after 19 months of a grueling uh, trade process back and forth that we'd have some fundamental change on the on the Chinese side, and I don't think we've gotten there. So that yeah, that's man. why I'm thinking I don't. I actually I don't think a phase two deal, whatever you want to come. In, I don't know oh, if yeah, it goes any know. further than this. Well,
0: Mnuchin said, guys. They said, well, what's next? You know, and he said, well, it could be a phase two, it could be a phase two a, <laughs> it could be a phase two b. He's like, you never know. You you never know. You never know. And, Time and will tell.
1: And I got up this morning and checked the news, and it seems like the, the new NAFTA, USMCA, uh, the, the the Mexican government's throwing uh, their hands up uh, about that as well. So we'll see. The 11th hour curveball. 11th hour curveball. Yeah, I saw that on the Axios this morning. So yeah. we will see uh, see how that pans out over the next uh, couple weeks. But I don't think it's it's too serious.
3: Can I pose one last question to you guys? Of, yeah, of course. Move on. And I, I don't want to get too political. I'm not trying to. But. It does seem that the Trump administration has seceded a little bit to get this deal done, and it's good that we got it done. But do you think that Trump's reasoning for seceding a little bit is a little bit of altruism, and he thinks that the, the, the economy is feeling a little bit of the pressure, or it's simply a token for his re-election campaign? What do you think? Uh, what was the first So, that, so the options are that he actually thinks that there's an impact to the market, and he wants to get it done for the American consumers, the American
1: farmers, for the people— or do you think it is yeah, a personal thing? Re-elected. It's
3: a campaign. He wants to get reelected because all those
0: farmers will vote
1: for him. That are exactly. Well, I think the the, the new tariff de- deadline was coming up. What today? Right? Was yesterday? Yeah, the fifteenth. Yesterday. Is- okay. Yeah. So so yesterday. So I, I think there was uh there's a lot of incentive on both sides to, to get this done before that went into effect because I don't think that would be uh good news.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's a great point. I think the Chinese are tired of taking pain too um the the cynic in me does think that he's doing this for re-election he gets a very public win the market hits all-time highs uh we've got low unemployment america you know the american consumers feeling good all that kind of stuff but i do think china's feeling the pain or else they've come to the table yeah yeah okay so last segment guys it's our usual long short segment so the first one i got for you guys are we long or short the prospect of Outbound Tender Rejection Index uh, in Sonar uh, averaging double digits in 2020. Averaging
1: double digits. So the outbound tender rejection rate for everyone who is unfamiliar with the term is uh, an index in Sonar that measures uh, how much or what percentage of freight is rejected from shipper to carrier. So out of every 100 loads, 10 would be rejected. We've spent most of this year uh, around five percent. Five right now, it's a little over a little 8%. over eight percent in the, in the peak season. Uh, the year before in twenty eighteen, I think it, it never dropped below double digits, and a lot of the year it was over twenty percent. So that right. it tells you it's a really hot market, really high capacity, um, mm-hmm. environment. So I would think that I, I'll go short on it. I think maybe an improvement, but I don't think it's going to be average double digits over the year you know seven eight nine percent I think would be uh, a pretty balanced market yeah I'm short averaging 10% but I
3: do think we hit ten percent multiple times I think uh, q1 probably not so much but once we see some some of this capacity leaving the market later into uh, Q2 and especially we even had like a run up there in the summer where we were mm-hmm. around that six percent kind of arbitrary resistance band that we had created uh, i think we get back around that 10 percent mark then and then probably again in the holidays but uh, averaging no i don't i don't think
0: we average see that. i knew i i i expected what you guys were going to say i threw a curveball in there i thought the, you know I, I thought both of you guys would say over 10 percent. i think we would have been three for three it would have crossed over 10 percent at some point oh yeah in definitely. 2020 but yeah averaging 10 percent is a different thing okay now the last uh long short segment here Guys, are we long or short Twitter? And I'll start off with you, Kevin. Twitter is a ne'er do well stock. Every time it starts to get traction, it seems to take a step back. I think it traded off like twenty five percent on its latest earnings report. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the the Facebook founder and CEO, has called them the clown car. Um, it. What do you think, Kevin? Long or short Twitter? I'm uh, no, short Twitter. I'm I'm sure just because of the
1: the historical norm of it that, that it's it's just undervalued. Uh, Jack Dorsey is now going to do a, a safari for for three months or six months or, or I, I think he's going to Africa for what? How long did he say? Oh, I, I'm not sure about the Africa trip. I think he oh, yeah, went going... and he
0: fell in love and then decided he was going back right, and that would happen. Yeah, in, yeah like, I think week. that.
1: So he's going to spend at least three or six months in in Africa running Twitter. Uh, I, I don't know.
0: One how that happened? How committed you are? How
1: committed you are? Well, it's I also,
3: think, you know, he's a CEO of another Fortune 1000 company yeah, too. Where? So, I mean, oh, that's he, he's right. The yeah. CEO of two of two promising companies. So it, yeah. You know, so I mean,
1: time. basically, you're, you're splitting your time. You know, like a little bit of Elon right. Musk. We, we, yeah. we, yeah. <laughs> we have some visitors here. <laughs> uh, we're doing some construction around the office. So there you go. But but yeah. But like like the reason why my. My my gripes about Elon Musk, you know, you can't you can't run five companies, you know, you just can't do it.
0: He's done it pretty well. Pretty well. Uh, pretty, I know, but well. but
1: he has. But I still have a gripe about that. I guess it helps so, when you go from three, and then you just have one of your companies buy the
3: other company, and you bring it down to two. Uh, yeah, I, I, guess, cool. I
1: guess so. So, but yeah. So I, I'm 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 sure to I'm sure the idea of I'm not short Twitter, but sure the idea that it's going to get a valuation that is, is the valuation it gets is well below. All the other
0: social media kind of public companies i think it will just stay there i want to say it's like a 25 billion dollar company and Mm -hmm. facebook's like over 500 billion yeah yeah yeah
3: i'm long but for probably the wrong reasons of like uh, as a financial investor i i don't think it's i think the promise that they could um drastically increase their ad revenue is has probably too far gone They've they've actually fallen off like they've fallen off or, or slowed down decelerated massively uh, of ad growth in the last few quarters. Um, I'm long it simply because I, I like the I like the product I like the um, I like the interaction. I think it's one made me a better writer. Back when it was even 140 characters, I had to focus so much on on getting on getting things out with brevity. Uh, and now they've doubled that. But I just genuinely like Twitter. I think that it's my favorite uh, social media platform. I spend the most time on it. I get my news from it. I get my my comedy from it. I get uh, my politics and my market yeah. news, I get a little bit of everything from it. So I think it's the best place to go there and get pretty much, uh, cause you can filter everything yourself. It's all about who you follow and what topics you want to follow. Whereas Facebook and curate and You can curate. curate. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Thank you. You can curate in my opinion to a, to a higher degree than you could on Facebook, uh, right. or any other social media. I, I
1: like using Twitter.
0: I, I, I do. But, um, I like oh, wait, you got to tell Everybody go follow Great oh. Quarter Guys Pod um, right. on, and, on and, Twitter. And how
1: do well. you? Is it Great G R E A T Q T R? Yes. Guys Pod Pod P O D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go follow. So we're Steph tweeting on. all the
0: time, um, and 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 we're also gonna we tweet about the sl- the show a lot and everything. Yeah, the
1: show and what we're working on research wise. So I like Twitter, but as, as a stock, um, it is just undervalued. I don't know how it gets up to the valuation of of the other. Uh, social media type of, of companies that, that people pull in for comps. Yeah. How about you?
0: See, I'm, I'm long Twitter. Uh, I think it's an irreplaceable um, uh, product and service. Um, I think Salesforce and Disney tried to buy this back at $24. Uh, it's a $30 stock, so I don't see a lot of downside risk. Uh, I think the company would get sure. potentially sold. And so um, they haven't monetized. I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And it's hated, you know, the contrarian in me so you're saying it's a value stock it is a value stock it is a value stock in the internet space
3: yeah if you're if you're looking at like a percentage growth wise they're Mm -hmm. they're not gonna their their international growth hasn't been as good as i would expect it to be but they've had uh you know they're sitting at like between eight and fifteen percent uh revenue growth and it's decelerating but it's still steady and they have a they have a steady growth of of revenue and for an internet company that's you know you either have an incredible growth or you Mm -hmm. have no growth at all so they're um I don't you've got a,
0: Well, Olympics and elections and stuff like that could juice the advertising revenue in yeah. Well, not not well, no, they can't, and, Yeah, yeah. They're not not directly, but it could increase usage which then increase ad right, ad okay. loads. True, right. True. Right. And and
1: you know, I, I don't think their ad serving is quite it's as, as like good as It's like people follow the debates. Or, I follow
0: the debates while they Yeah, going yeah, yeah, on Twitter. Maybe yeah. that'll juice the uh the ad rates.
1: It could. Yeah. I, I imagine so, because, I mean, everyone reports. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that, that news people report about people tweeting. You know, that becomes a story. It, tweets become stories, which I I still don't understand. <laughs> I don't really kind of understand that concept, you know. Such and such tweeted this. Why is this a story?
3: Well, I will I will say one thing about the ads on Twitter that, that I think is, needs to be noted, at least uh, anecdotally with my own. I don't notice the ads in a way that I do on YouTube or on even Facebook. Yeah, are they're, right. they're much more kind of streamlined and yeah, and they're not they don't jump out at you the way that the other things do. So I mean, that's pr- that's do one. Do you engage thing. with them? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, if it's a poll. If it's, it's a bad on Twitter. Are good for the user. Yeah, right? it's true. So. Yeah,
1: exactly right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, um, another great show, guys. We're going to be back next week. As always, we're available on Apple, Spotify, and FreightCast, and we will see you next week, guys. And thanks for listening. I'm not afraid to